Hey there, Powder Cake fans. Nick here from the Powder Cake team, and this is episode 97 of Powder Cake Igniting Startups, the show for entrepreneurs, leaders, and innovators building remarkable tech companies in areas outside of Silicon Valley. Today, we're revisiting an old episode where Matt spoke with Scott Gerber. He's the co-founder of the Young Entrepreneur Council, or the YEC, and the community company, and he's spent nearly a decade helping entrepreneurs and global brands alike intelligently grow their networks. Scott has based his entire career on business relationships and helping other people build them. The interview is from March 2018, and we're taking this episode out of the archives because it's one of our most popular interviews from last year. In this interview, Scott shares some of the strategies from his 2018 book called Super Connector and explains why taking the long view on relationship building and being a connector instead of a networker will ultimately lead to greater business and personal success. This interview has a ton of actionable tips in this episode, so grab a notebook and let's get to the interview. Scott, thanks so much for being with us here today. Thanks so much for having me. Really appreciate it. Absolutely, man. I want to I want to tell my audience a little bit about you, and I'm going to actually read your bio because we've known each other for so long. I don't want to go off script and, and divulge some stories that isn't ready for the the uh, general public to know. Uh, <laughs> you have an impressive bio uh, as the CEO of the Community Company, which is an organization that builds and manages professional communities for media companies and global brands. And uh, you're the founder of YEC, which I've been a member of for years and have have gotten a ton of benefit. Uh, that's Young Entrepreneurs Council, which is an invitation-only organization comprised of the most successful young entrepreneurs and me too. I, I got in there as well. Um, also, for- just barely, just yeah. barely. <laughs> got, in, got in under the wire. Got in under the wire. Um, also, the Forbes Councils, which is the collective invitation-only organization uh, for world-class executives, many other communities as well. You've been featured in New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, um, and again. Uh, brand new author of this new book with your co-founder, Ryan Paw, Super Connector. And I am super excited to talk to you specifically about this book today uh, because there are so many good insights in here. If you are someone who's building a business or just building your career, this is a book you're going to want to read. If if you read uh, Never Read Alone with Keith Ferrazzi, which I have probably is my most recommended book, um, and soon Super Connector might be my most recommended book because this really seems like it's, uh, it's Keith Ferrazzi you know, for the 21st century. And Keith actually wrote the introduction for this book. How did you manage that, Scott? Well, I mean, we'll get into like sort of some of the super connector secrets later, I'm sure. But to be honest, you know, Keith, uh, just like you just mentioned, had a huge impact on my life. Um, When I was first getting started, I had a massive failure. I'm sure we'll talk about that too. Uh, And, you know, that book was was a life changer for me because it made me fundamentally realize what I was flawed in. Um, The irony now that that's my livelihood is community building and relationships. Um, But it was all started because of that amazing book, Never Eat Alone. Uh, And so I did something that just sounds totally crazy. And I've known Keith for years. I wouldn't say that uh, we're best friends or anything like that. I want to misstate it. Um, but he's known of me. He's known of YC, our career. We've had dinner a few times, all that. I literally sent him a minute-long video and just explained how impactful what he uh, had, his book had done for me, how much it just meant to me, and how much it would mean to myself and Ryan if he would consider writing this book, which, like you said a second ago, we considered to be sort of the next generation's Never Eat Alone. Uh, and he got back to me within a day or two and was just so touched, his own words uh, from his team. Uh, and that was it. And he, he wrote it. So habitual generosity and making smart asks, you know, those types of things come around full circle sometimes. Well, and I want to dive right into some of those strategies here uh, in a moment. But I, first, I, I think it'd be really good for people to kind of understand your journey of how you got to here. You know, you mentioned uh, one of your greatest 
failures in your past. And I don't want to dwell on the failure, but usually yep. a lot of times in the biggest failures when you get the biggest lesson. Yep. Um, can you maybe take me back to that moment? Where, where was that low point for you when oh you, boy. you hit so, that rock bottom? This is what I really love about my story. And I'm not saying that to pat myself on the back, but you know, I want to impress on people. You're not talking to a guy who is uh, a billionaire, came from money, came from connections kind of guy. I think especially with books like this, when you hear about it, it's, sometimes it can come off as like, oh, well, of course he did it because he's successful. And now it's like, this is impossible. It's not approachable. It's not something I can do. Well, let me sort of take a step back and just show you just how much what I'm going to hopefully share today is approachable and teachable. Yeah, where'd um, you grow up? I came from Staten Island, New York. My mother was a special education teacher. She just recently retired a few years ago. My father was a sales in the carpenting industry. Um, I was always in the arts of all things. Uh, when I was growing up, I was like the, you know, the, the president of uh, a club for drama or uh, the school play and, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, I thought that I was going to be the next American great auteur. So I focused my entire high school career, uh, not on some business endeavor or whatever. In fact, most people, you know, think I was an entrepreneur born and bred through and through. Um, it's not true. Uh, I didn't get that bug until college when I went to NYU, but not to Stern where everybody assumes these days I went to business school. I went to Tisch, uh, to the, the art school, uh, and, Basically learned within the first year and a half that I was not destined to be the next big director. It was not my skill set. I was a producer. Uh, I was very good at that. I was good at convening people. Uh, I was good at sharing a vision and, and getting people to buy into that vision to create great work. How did you but learn I was that? Not, I, I wasn't the lens. I, I think it's because first I had to fundamentally validate that I should stay in the school in a certain way, right? Um, you know, I, I saw these amazingly talented kids that, you know, just saw the world very differently uh, than I did. Uh, and I knew that that artsy style wasn't for me. Um, but when I started just looking at what my skill set was, like looking at a project and having an eye for it and identifying what would be good or bad or identifying who should be involved in a project or how to build teamwork around a project, you know, that was something that I looked at my previous like high school career at the time. And, you know, like I said, president of this, leader of that group, that, that sort of, I think, really was the whole time what I was doing. But I was so focused on the content of that, the, the drama, the play part. I wasn't focused on the fact I was the director of that or the lead of that. So I, I didn't really look at the right skill sets that I was, I was uh, you know, more geared for. So anyway, here's the story of what happens. Junior year, I go and I create a business um, impromptu. I start lying about my age to anybody that'll listen, say I'm 30 years old. How they believe me. <laughs> I had to grow facial hair just to look like I'm over 30 now. You do have a very um, nice beard, Scott. I, I got to admit. Thank you. <laughs> um, and, and so I, I lied about my age and I started getting real work. I've never actually worked for anybody in my life. Thus, the first title of my first book was Never Get a Real Job. Um, but the idea was very simple. I started producing real projects. I was working for Atlantic Records and a bunch of other things doing like music videos and all kinds of stuff that you've probably seen at some point in your life in the MTV world. Um, and then I made every dumb, stupid mistake that one makes. Spent too much, had a huge ego, hung out with the wrong people, just you name it. It was the normal, dumb, rookie level mistakes. But I was fortunate, you know, looking back, fortunate as hell to have made them then than have made them now. Um, you know, I have four kids. I live in New York City. Very different situation now. Um, uh, you know, so, so the reality is, is that I basically went from, you know, big time wonderkin producer uh, of, of something like, you know, a 20 you know, year old to two weeks before graduation, having $700 left to my name 
And my parents, uh, who were uh, disappointed in, in me in some ways because I just was so on this entrepreneur kick because they didn't understand it. Sure. Um, you know, my mother said, you know, hey, Scott, you know, time to get a go, go get a real job. And I was like, what the hell is that? I don't even, <laughs> I, I, I just got my ass kicked for two and a half years, you know, two years back and forth and learned everything. How could I not take that and turn that into something valuable? So that was the moment where I audited myself. And this sort of gets to the crux of hmm. the book and where I've gone. And, and to your point, the, the main learning that I am beyond fortunate enough to have learned, but more importantly, to have recognized at a young age, because hmm. most people I don't think would have recognized the true problem. You know, I summed up a series of problems I just mentioned to you, you know, spend too much ego, all that crap. Those are small incremental issues that are things you need to work on as a human being. Mm-hmm. But when I finally did some introspection and I said, what is it that really made me not successful? What, why did I fail so miserably? It was obviously a business that was making money and then fundamentally didn't. So that wasn't the issue. So what was it? I learned very quickly. It was one thing. I did not put a group of people around me, an inner circle of people that were at a level that could understand me, that I could go to, ask questions of, have really deep, raw conversations with, and have things that I could have learned at that age. Not just mentorship. I don't want to make it sound like it's a mentor thing. Just people that got me and I understood them. They understood what I was going through. And, you know, again, that I could demask from that fake I'm 30 type mentality at the time, that fake it till you make it crap that we all have to somewhat do when we're younger, um, to just saying, look, here's my problem. Or set me straight, man. What did I do wrong in this situation? Oh, I am being an egotistical ass? Okay, well, (laughs) I should probably stop that then, right? People to put you in check and just be real with you. I didn't have it. And so I made a promise right there and then to myself that if I was going to find success in my life, ever, that at some point I wanted to put a group of people together, initially around me, but around all young entrepreneurs, that one day would ensure that no young entrepreneur had to go it alone or feel like they were alone. And obviously I started another business that wasn't YEC, that became uh, successful, uh, and then I went on to found YEC. And I'll, I'll sort of do full stop there because you get the journey. And yep. for everybody that's you know sort of listening, and I, I don't want to dominate, I am the type A of myself and my partner, Ryan, if you haven't figured that out yet. Um, I just say all that for two reasons. One, Matt asked me. <laughs> and two, I just really want everybody to understand that everything that hopefully you learn in, in this live chat, if you watch it later, it's all attainable. You know, I, I didn't have a leg up. My leg up is, okay, I'm middle class. I'm sure if I had you know, a little less, uh, I would have had to work harder. But it's, I believe it's in me to be the person I am today, regardless of circumstance. I believe that, that was the innate feature. When um, it seems like, Scott, you you took the time to uh, do what you call the self-audit. How did you know to do that process? And, and is that something you continue to do today? And if so, what what is the process for doing a self-audit? Like say, I wanted to do a self-audit today, or yep. say, you know, 22-year-old Matt wanted to do a self-audit today. Yep. What does that look like? So most of us lie to ourselves every day. We buy into the PR. There's an old saying um, and this is a, a CEO friend of mine said this to me about five, 10 years ago. And I, I, it's one of the like five mantras I live by, um, especially, you know, Matt, uh, again, not saying these things to toot my own horn, just giving it so that people have context for the example. Um, I've, I've done a lot of media in my life. You, you named some of it before. And a lot of people, especially younger entrepreneurs, uh, are, are guilty of this one thing. They buy their own PR, mm-hmm. right? You buy into the hype. You believe what people are saying about you 
rather than just execute, operate, stay the course, right? Um, and so I believe that people will buy into that PR. So it's the same thing that you can't buy into your own BS. You can't buy into just because you do something a certain way or you see the world a certain way that that is necessarily how you should be buying into that. Yep. So, so, so my argument to people is when you audit, and I'll, I'll put this in context now of sort of what I'm talking about today around relationships. You know, I ask everybody to determine, are they a networker or are they a connector? Because it's not just about your, how you build relationships. In a lot of ways, it's how you lead a team. It's the same sort of lens. And so what is a networker, right? A networker is typically the kind of person who is that greasy, shake your hand, here's a business card. Like you feel like after meeting this person, you need a shower, right? Because it's just such an icky thing, right? I think connector, anyone who's been to a business event knows that person. Knows exactly what I'm talking about, yeah. right? Oh, I'm an insurance salesman. Here, let me tell you all about me. You need insurance, right? Here, here, here. Then you move over and I'm going to go to the next guy over there, right over your shoulder. Right. Then there's the connector, which is more of the long-term habitual thinker, doesn't think transactionally, builds community. You're obviously one of these kinds of people, Matt, you know, that, that really cares about people, is curious about them, wants to build relationships and long-term value. When I tell people, how do you audit that, right? And this speaks to the larger question, how do you audit yourself? Mm -hmm. I ask them to take a simple exercise and think it through in a different way. So in this case, the simple exercise is this. In the next five conversations you have, okay, with that are business-oriented with a business professional, a peer, whatever, that you've not ever met before. It could be someone you just happened to meet, someone you're introduced to, doesn't matter. Five people that you've not yet met before. I want you to really be cognizant of the first 120 seconds of that conversation. Hmm. Because in that, that's usually where the, and I hope you get away from this. If you read the book, you'll learn about why small talk is stupid, but that's where the small talk happens. That's the CV exchange, right? The LinkedIn bona fides. And I want you to determine really quickly in that 120 seconds, which way does your mind go? Does it go the way of, I have a question I want to ask this person and follow up because that's interesting or I'm curious. Or does it go the direction of this person is or is not somebody who could provide value to me? So I'm either going to try to end this conversation or figure out where I can extract the value I need. Which way does your mind go? Now, this is the simplest of audits. You don't have to tell anyone the results. Be totally you know, private. This is something you can never tell another soul. Because if you are that networker, you might not want to change. And I'm not here to judge you. But there's a better way. But you first need to assess what lens you actually see the world in without the PR, without the outside stimuli. And if you catch yourself five out of five saying like, oh, well, I want to ask a question, you're more likely a connector. And therefore, now it's about improving upon how to build the tools around that mindset that can further your connecting ability. If you are someone who is more transactional and thinking about you first, again, I'm not judging you, but I would argue that you are on the wrong path to longer term, more fulfilling relationships. So that could be the foundation by which you reset just based on being honest with yourself by five basic conversations. You could do this exact same exercise with any kind of mindset shift, right? Think about it. the next five purchases you make. Okay, you want to see how frugal you are or if, you're, if you spend money? Did you go to Starbucks and get the extra five things on it? Or did you go get the dollar cup of coffee outside at the bodega, right? Five purchases, do you, which way do you spend? Next five people you meet personally, okay? Be self-aware. Did that person walk away in your mind actually thinking that you're likable? Or, oh God, why am I talking to you? <laughs> so my point is five conversations that you have can fundamentally change the way in which you see yourself in some way, shape, or form. 
In my case, I would argue connectional intelligence is the number one thing you should judge because that judges everything else. Yep. But this just gives you a sense of the kinds of simple things you can do to audit yourself if you're going to be meaningful, honest, and authentic about it and not lie to yourself. Can you tell me why I want to be a connector instead of a networker? Because yep. to, to me, that sounds like more work. You're, you're, it is. It you're, is. You're telling me, me this is more work. Why would I want to be a connector when I could just go get what I want and get out of this networking event or get out well, of this like, we work office or industrious yep. office. So, so the idea that one person, first of all, I think that you've hit it on the head um, and I know you're just sort of setting me up. So you're really nice. Sure. So you don't think like that. Man. <laughs> um, there is this idea that we think the short route is the better route because we see the goal, but not the journey. It's like everybody talks about Steve jobs. He's a genius. He's wonderful. He's amazing. And he was, but he took nearly 30 years to get there. Right? Everybody's like, I want to meet Richard Branson. Right, because you think Richard Branson is going to put his stamp on you, having never met you before, and he's going to jump your career from A to Z. And that's just not how the world works. Right? Work is real. There's a great saying, we say it in the book, one of my earliest mentors that set me straight. She was someone who worked for the king, the kingmakers, the, the Bransons and so forth. And I, I was trying desperately to like get that secret sauce from her. Right? That, that formula that, we, that I thought must be there. And I said to her, I said, you know, Holly, how do you get from A to Z or whatever I said, but same concept. But instead of 30 years, I want to get there in five months. First of all, what a dumbass question. Let's just start <laughs> there. But this was my earliest years. But she said something so profound that I wish my dumber young self would have understood instead of waiting years to really understand how profound it was. And she said, Scott, real relationships take real time and you can't cheat real time. It's so simple yet so profound, right? Yep. And this is how I can equate it to your audience. And then I'll get back to your point, Matt. Let's say Matt, you and I never met. Okay. Let's say that I'm just Scott. You're just Matt. We're, we don't, you don't know what I do. You don't know who I am. I don't know what you do. And I walk up to you. It's a hypothetical. Okay. <laughs> I walk up to you having never met you before in my entire life. And you've never met me in my entire life. And I say, Matt, you look like a really nice guy. I want to be your best friend. Can we be best friends right now? I, look, I know I'm going to be a great best friend for you. And as a best friend, here's something I need you to do for me. That's what most people think <laughs> is how you build a relationship, but they don't put it in those terms because to them, that would be making sense, right? Who would ever say, you know what? I just met you, but yes, we should be best friends. Forget all that millions of hours of conversation we have to have before we get there. Forget those life-changing moments. You're there for me and I'm there for you. Let's just skip all that crap. You know, you're my best friend now forever. Who the hell would ever do that? And so to your original point, Matt, no, a networker is someone in my mind that will lose in the end. Because yes, the one time you're going to get what you want because you think you're gaming the system is the time that you're going to forget about the other 99 that you've burned every bridge with that will say no to you the rest of your life and will tell 99 other people to avoid you like the plague. Whereas if you're a connector that doesn't look for that transactional value, that isn't thinking a point here for my point here, then you're going to win in the end because your inner circle can get you into other inner circles because the trust and the deep, meaningful bonds that you're going to build with people that you could be selective about, that you could invest your own time in, that you could be thoughtful for. You can't buy that. You can't fake that. You can't like, share, and tweet that. That's just that kind of crap that the blogosphere is going to have you believe, the five steps to relationship-building success. There is none. And my final point, hey, Matt, you want to get healthy? Which are you going to do? 
go drink that five minute, you know, NutraShake ab formula, or you get to change your lifestyle. Why do people think that you can get an eight pack of abs if you drink some stupid thing and sit on your ass having something around your stomach that jiggles your belly instead of putting the work in? And we still buy it hook, line, and sinker. That's what you have to avoid. There is no five minute formula to this. There are no five steps. It is a mindset, not a series of tips and tactics. It is a framework to live your life. And it is a better framework to live your life. 100% buy-in with you. And, and I was teeing you up a little bit uh, there with my last question, Scott. Uh, I really do uh, appreciate you sharing some of this journey. And you, you've mentioned already you know, a mentor that you had, this uh, group of people you built around yourself. Uh, can you talk to me about like maybe one or two of the guides along your journey, particularly in the early stages of uh, making this shift from networker shortcut uh, yep. six pack abs mindset to yep. more of the super connector mindset that you've now harnessed into a superpower? Um, who are some of those key people and, and how did they uh, impact your journey? Yeah, I, I mean... <laughs> So this is a first. I've never actually told this story to anybody uh, before. I'm glad but, you had it here first. Uh, my first mentor, um, who I can't name and I can't say the company, um, my first, and I say I should say mentor. Um, Air quotes. <laughs> you're getting the gist. Um, <laughs> so my first mentor was someone who I saw value in, and I bought hook, line, and sinker everything that he was saying to me. Mm. And as a young guy, meeting someone with, you know, in a position I've never seen before, extreme wealth, um, more money than God, could do anything, could open any door. You know, I assumed that that was a connector, you know, even though I didn't call it necessarily that back then the same way. I wouldn't necessarily thought I was an entrepreneur back in the early 2000s because that really wasn't the vernacular back then, right? I mean, entrepreneurship sounds like so current and mainstream now, but, you know, 10 years ago, it wasn't, right? Zuckerberg right. hadn't really done anything of note yet. Uh, it was a couple campuses of Facebook. This was relatively new in the, in the mainstream culture. And, you know, I bought in hook, line, and sinker thinking this guy is going to make me rich. So problem one is I bought into an idea uh, that was a false idea. Hmm. I bought into a goal that was the wrong goal, not something that was heartfelt, but transactional, just in nature of the money. And it's a hard story for me to tell, actually. Um, I had a product at that time, program, that I worked very hard on, probably the hardest I'd ever worked on in my life uh, at that time. And I brought it to this person and that person who I thought was going to be my, you know, the mindset I put around myself. Remember, I wasn't selective. I was like, you're rich. You must know what's best for me to get rich. Hmm. So let's understand the number of falsehoods and problems in that from my own lens, as well as my goal setting ability. What I thought was a mentorship was actually someone who was a taker. Hmm. And he immediately saw this as a program he should latch on to. And within a couple months, basically went from being a mentor to starting to ask me how he was going to get involved. What's his take? What's his percentage? Well, this advice isn't free, Scott. This, this, is, this is business. Yep. So he went from mentor to really trying to be a vulture. And my big aha moment sadly came when here I was at 21, um, with a letter from a lawyer, which I'd never gotten in my life, basically saying I was being sued, potentially opening up myself. I don't want to be clear here, even though I'm not mentioning his name, I want to be fair. Um, I have opened myself up to a potential lawsuit in the millions for his time and hours spent in that of a colleague he brought on to guide me in consulting for wow. all the time he had spent with me to that point. Wow. 
you want to talk about scared, you know what, like <laughs> 21 years old, you're really serious. Your net worth is tens of thousands, not millions of dollars. Uh, and tens of thousands are probably like, you know, your bar mitzvah money. You can't touch kind of thing, you know, kind of thing. Right. Right. Um, and you're, you're getting a lawyer letter from a firm you could never afford saying, I'm going to take you out before you've gotten started. Now that all worked itself out. Um, he just basically disappeared because I think it was a threat with no teeth. Hmm. But that moment was the first time I realized that when you buy into people who are takers or transactional thinkers, you yourself are a taker or a transactional thinker Mm. because connectors have a keen sense of understanding people. And I should have been more thoughtful about being selective of who I spent my time with, but I let the flashy lights and the, and the, you know, the, the awards and the money and the, the wrong goal setting affect my selectivity. I hadn't yet been thoughtful about who do I want to surround myself with. I played to the wrong metric. So that's the first thing. So, you know, we talk a lot about in the book, connectors are people who are incredibly self-aware, but also incredibly selective. So they're not only understanding of their own selves and their understanding of how others perceive them, mm-hmm. but they're also selective very keenly about who they surround themselves with. Who do they want to live their best lives with? Who do they consider to be amazing people? What are their own series of criteria? Not to call someone, not to be exclusive in the elite sense, like I'm better than you, but to be selective about who they want to deep dive on time with. And you can't give time to everybody. So how do you set that up? I was not being selective. I was caught uh, in the wrong game, so to speak. If you were to go back to that younger version of yourself with the skills you have now, how would you have spotted this person? How can we spot people in our own professional relationships and careers, because we all meet, you know, dozens of people a month, uh, in our careers, if not more, Mm -hmm. uh, how, how do we identify someone that could be potentially a taker or someone who, who really isn't going to have your best interest at heart? You know, it's super interesting, Matt. There's just 99% of the time you can hear it in the conversation. Mm. Um, what are you listening for? You're listening for, for taker terms, if you will. Right. Okay. Um, you're listening for what their actual motives are. You're listening for how they're phrasing questions. You're listening for how they speak uh, to you and about you. Um, you know, I remember certain phrases this is going back. So I'm, I'm going to be a little off in the specifics, but um, you, you hear certain phrases like when you're talking, when they're asking you to ask questions about yourself, it's one thing to say, so what are your goals in life based on what you're doing? It's another thing to say, Oh, how much did you make last year on business? <laughs> right. Um, there's just different, and some of them are very blunt and obvious like that. Some of them it's, it's, I call them internally, like establishing self-worth questions, uh, and and self-worth versus real worth. I should say questions, Mm. right? People that instantly are looking for a bona fide metric to judge you by. Again, it could be money, could be title, could be status, whatever, whatever that metric is that you deem to be sort of the vanity. Like I should be defined by X, um, that means that you are probably dealing with someone that is feeling you out for the wrong reasons. Yep. When I feel people out in conversation, I'm not feeling them out for how much money do you make? I don't care. I'm very successful. I don't need you to, to help me make money. Yep. Um, I also don't care you to help me advance my career. I, if anything, I'm trying to probably find ways to play a role in your life more than I'm looking for you to play a role in mine. In, in most cases, if I'm having a conversation with you. Um, what I care about is when, when I hear people talking about probing me around, you know, misconceptions. I, mean, I just had this to me the other day. Someone who's not in our world doesn't understand what I do, you know, because I'm a 30-year-old something, you know, there's a, a perception there that, oh, well, you know, you're just a normal guy. And, you know, when somebody is like, oh, I'm a, I'm a, a 
you know, the vice president at some firm and you're telling me how wonderful and awesome you are, then I would never be the guy that talks about what I do. But a friend all of a sudden, you know, after 20 minutes of hearing somebody bloviate on about how amazing their middle management position is, you know, says, oh, maybe Scott can, can teach you something. Uh, you know, he, he's, he's the CEO of a company that's, you know, a multimillion dollar business with almost 100 people under management or, or uh, people that work for him. You know, it's like all of a sudden you see the white in that person's face because they've misjudged the conversation. Mm. Um, you know, when, when you're taking the entire conversation, you're feeling like, I often say, if you talk more, you have less value, right? If you've got to spend 20 minutes of a 30 minute conversation explaining to me who you are, that's you trying to make a case for why you think you're more valuable than I am to build your own ego, to think why you are uh, the person everybody should be listening to, um, mainly because you're insecure, in my opinion, yourself. You know, I rarely ever talk about what I do anymore uh, in, unless I'm directly asked uh, or something like this. Well, because you, I don't need to validate what I do. And you talk about cutting out uh, small talk as well. So, yeah. so what's the right way to approach a conversation? Someone new you've never yeah. met before. Um, maybe this is even someone you'd like to build a relationship with or, or would yep. like to at least explore the opportunity of building a relationship with. What's the right way to approach those first two minutes? So it's interesting, right? So the best connectors in the world have found a way to get them uh, surround, to get themselves surrounded by the right people even before the conversation. So we can get to that in a minute. But once you're in the conversation, uh, you, you, how you've done the first part of ensuring first people are amazing around you. I'll, I'll share some secrets on that in a minute. Yeah. But if you find yourself in any conversation, one, one that is a connector-based conversation or any conversation, I like to say you need to be the Sherlock Holmes of discourse. Your goal is to extract amazing context from people. It's not about you. Your goal is to learn about other people, right? To be generally curious about other people, to be empathetic to the things they care about, um, and to learn those magic nuggets that make them tick. You know, for example, most people will come up to me and say, small talk crap, like nice weather, or, uh, you know, what do you do? That, the kind of things that are just like either scripted answers or one word, one phrase answers, which are the worst kinds of questions you can ask anybody. Right. Um, and, and I also don't buy into you want to do these, you know, gamified social script type questions uh, necessarily either. You want great questions like, but hey, Matt, you just told me before uh, this, this interview about how you're doing, what you're doing with powder keg and all that. And had you not told me that or you gave me a basic one liner about it, I would have said something like, you know, where do you see this going? So in a year from now, when we might talk again or I see in person, you know, you would define success. And then you're going to basically back end the bullets of success for me. Then I can probe each of those individual success points for more detail. And what I'm doing in my head is churning, you know, my brain is working to think, where, where do I know someone? Do I have a resource? Do I know something that I can help Matt to achieve his goals um, that I might tell you in the moment or not um, to either ensure first, if I have to make an intro that I can double opt in the person I want to introduce you to based on the context I've extracted from you, or, uh, and to provide more of a serendipity approach to the connection or opportunity to give you a resource, um, you know, or I want to learn more over time or see it progress to ensure that either I'm right or you're going to do what you say you did and I can do a check-in. And once I know you're at a certain level, maybe there's someone that I know would connect with you once you are at a certain level of your success plan that maybe wouldn't have if you were a little earlier in it to make sure that it's the right moment, right introduction, right time. But all these things are little tidbits, little treasure trove pieces. You know, when I'm talking to you, I'm not looking for Matt's the CEO of Powder Keg, so to speak. I'm looking for Matt's favorite drink is this. His favorite place to hang out is why. His professional goals are this, and here's the three bullets that he's doing this year. 
I'm going to follow up with him on X time based on my last conversation. And the first question I think I should ask him is this. I'm going to write all that in the notes app of my iPhone, okay, or, you know, in the contact for your name. And next time I see you or I'm following up with you or you're following up with me, I've got the secret sauce that most people don't have. I can continue the conversation. I can remind myself of what was important to you. Not because I'm trying to trick you. I'm not being Machiavellian about it. It's because I was thoughtful enough to actually listen, to care enough to put that information in a way I could use it and package it and later be able to see how's it going to put myself back into that mindset and fully focus on your specific goals and needs. Right. Yep. So that that's really the goal. Um, well, and I've seen you, th- I've seen you do this live, Scott. I mean, when we first met, I think it was five years ago at South by Southwest. We were at the at the. You reminded me just before we started this interview. It was at the Fishbowl Bar, which it's it's all coming back to me now. But we were definitely on a bar crawl. So you, <laughs> probably, probably, yeah, it's, it's it's hard enough for that to come back to you because that was a rough <laughs> night. <laughs> it was. It was. Um, but we we both found ourselves amongst uh, an amazing group of people. You know, uh, Liam Martin from staff.com leading the entire bar crawl, uh, many other CEOs, founders, investors uh, there with us. And we both found ourselves in this place. How did you build your network? How did you surround yourself with those people? Because it was it was clear to me when I met you, you kind of already knew everybody um, and, and that you, you had already talked to everyone in the room, probably gone through this process you just described to me. So this goes back to what I started saying before about connectors are incredibly methodical. They are productivity gurus. That's the only time they would ever say the word guru because everything else is, you know, huckster garbage, right? It's just (laughs) like, you know, like five tips guys and MLM people and all that crap. Um, We find people to surround ourselves with before we put ourselves in situations. And so, for example, in that exact story, I knew Liam to be someone who is a great guy, Incredibly, incredibly thoughtful person. Hung out with the kinds of people that I believe to be amazing people. And almost like an anchor, a fellow connector, that I could trust his lens. And so even by saying yes to something as simple as a bar crawl, I could have, as you know, and you could have as well, in Austin, Texas during South By, (laughs) been in every garbage event known to man, every stupid panel discussion, and, and had not had the night where you and I had that bond. But I selectively picked the right curator of an experience to bring me into a circle, to bring me into a new vetted community. And that community might have only been for one night. But it's the idea that the lens of the person I was using to make that decision, I thought was an amazing person. And I believe that I got in it. So any communication that I would have that night, maybe some of them would be life-changing, some of them wouldn't be. But here we are five years later. Get my point. So, So the reality is, is that you know, connectors put themselves in situations. So here's a better example that's more, um, I think, open to your entire community of people watching this. That's that's more like an everyday type thing. Sure. So you asked me, you asked me before, like, how do you have a conversation? Well, before I have that conversation, more times than not, I'm going to use someone else's real estate to to pull people from uh, their places where they are. So let's use a conference, right? The, the bane of everyone's existence, but that sometimes you have to go to if you don't do it right. And I know you've done great events, but you know how to do great events. There's a difference. Most conferences are like Dreamforce, right? 50,000 people, right? Uh, certain other publication ones, 10,000 people. What the hell are you going to learn 
Or how are you going to meet someone in a crowd of 10,000 people? Most people that go to them already know the people they want. Same thing with South By. The joke of South By is you really don't go to South By if you're someone of note or someone that's highly connected to go to South By. Right. You go because you already know all the people you care about are going to be there. And you're going to find your own little niches in the larger group. And so same thing here. We call it building an oasis, right? So the idea is, is that let's say you're going to go to a conference event. You want to get the most out of that conference event. Um, let's say you want to surround yourself with, and I'm making this incredibly generic, uh, tech entrepreneurs, right? Because that's a, a program that you're doing right now, yep. right? Uh, tech entrepreneurs that are between, let's say, a half a million and a million dollars uh, in, in revenue or financing, right? So right at the beginning of their journey. Um, and you want to have like a cool just meetup for, for just those people. And you know that there's going to be God knows how many people at this event. So three weeks before the event. Okay, so this is how methodical we are. Three weeks before the event, you or a person in your team, they're going to research all the amazing people that are doing social, that are saying they're going to be at this event, that you heard from friends that you trust are going to be at this event, and you are going to begin to curate and invite people and basically create a safe space, 10, 15, 20 people, 30 people max, very intimate space. You're going to do some cool thing. In this case, it was a bar crawl. In another case, it could be something else. Um, and it's going to be, the point is curated. It's going to be really intimate. And you're going to pull all the friction out of that room or that space before anyone actually attends. So what does that mean? You're going to ask three questions, let's say. Question one basically is like, what are you working on right now? Okay. Question two, biggest weakness you have in your company, in yourself, biggest strength you can always offer to someone else that you are just the expert in. Hmm. You're going to ask them to write one sentence in each of those things. You're going to create a digest in four days before the event you're going to start sending out that information to everybody you're going to meet. One day before, you're going to say, hey, everybody, this is the same digest. Here's the CV of the people, by the way, that of everybody that's attending matched with all that stuff. And then you're going to have that event. If it's a sit-down event, maybe you'll do your own little spin on it. You know, you put people sitting next to each other for a reason based on things you know about them. You say the seating is methodical, but you don't tell them why to start conversation. You remove all the friction points. Mm. And that's why I said earlier, we don't just have conversations, you know, whenever possible or small talk because we've set the table, so to speak. Yep. Right. So the, the be the Sherlock Holmes of discourse does not mean you're just pulling context based on a uh, conversation. It means you're also being the Sherlock Holmes of your environment. Right. So if you're a great connector, you're not only listening for what people say to you, like, you know, the two people you've introduced at an event, you should also be looking around who else was in attendance because that sets the, the sense of how, how great was the room you were in, hmm. right? Was this an accidental you just met? Was this a methodical I met? If it was a methodical, a convened space, who introduced us? What do I think of the person that did that? And you're just adding bullets because look, whether we like it or not, the world works on a series of basic principles. You trust people and their lens every day. It's why you choose a SaaS tool because someone referred you. It's why you want to take an introduction and take a phone call. And the same thing applies here. If you go to some random event and you meet someone, they sounded interesting. They might've been great, but it was just some random thing. All right. You're making the discuss. You're, you're going to determine how deep are you going to go? Yep. If you were in a room with 10 people, because you were introduced by someone that you deem to be a true, you know, mesh, the connector, a high level person, great, amazing person. And you know that's the person that introduced you. That means that their sort of ethos is in everyone else in the room. And you're going to take that investment in that person much more seriously. 
more likely than not. So this is how connectors look when they're building out their frameworks of how they're determining their investments in time, their investments in people, their methodologies, and, and building out of frameworks for their own communities. Well, and it's built into our DNA as homo sapiens, right? Like that is, that is how we as, as uh, our species have evolved and grown. And so I, I think you're really tapping into something very primal here that a lot of people kind of let run in the background and, and don't really understand just how much it influences them and others around them. Uh, so I love that this book really dives into those strategies and gives you something um, that, that you can sink your teeth into uh, so that you can take some of those things that are innately built into us and understand how to yep. go about building your dream network, you know, building that... Uh, that super connector sort of um, skill set that's going to help you help more people on your career path um, and, and ultimately be more generous with others. And in return, you're having a more abundant lifestyle. Yep, absolutely. Look, if you want to be someone who has an incredibly fulfilling life, then care about the people that care about you. If you want to be someone who is always looking for value extraction versus value creation, I wish you the best of luck. The re life is longer and can be uh, is longer than we sometimes give ourselves credit for. Okay, yep. you don't have to win every day. You don't. Ha you know, I get the rah rah mentality. Go out, hustle, kill it. You know, but there's a difference between putting your mind behind a business and building that business. And yes, it takes different sets of advertising and marketing and staffs and all this to build a company. And that's one thing. But your relationships allow you to go from point A to C, C to F, F to M, if you've invested proper time, whereas everything else lets you go from A to A.1, A.2, then A.10, then B. And so you can, ins you, can, you can really create a lot of incredible value for others and for yourself. If you're just human, if you, if you care about others, if you're curious, if you're emotionally intelligent and empathetic, if you don't think transactionally short-term, and if you're just an authentic human and not authentic, because that's become the new, you know, t-shirt buzzword as well, right. but truly authentic. It, you know, I mean, I've been getting a lot of questions as we've been doing the book tour. It's my, one of my favorites. What should we do differently in the real world versus the digital world? <laughs> what else would, in life, what other thing would we get a question like that? Where, yes, you should be one person here right. and one person there. No, you should be yourself. And have a communication style and a thesis for living and a lens by which you live and a curiosity factor that transcends whether it's spoken or written. And something that shows you're truly a person at the end of the day first and not a vanity metric, a spokesperson, a salesman, a, a, a marketing tactic. Like it amazes me to this day that even people who come off as connectors that are really networkers that lie for a living, okay, will do something like this. They'll go on stage and they'll talk about how amazing the XYZ marketing tactic is, that they've gotten great conversion and growth hacking and all this nonsense to win at business. And then off stage behind scenes, if you ask them the question, if you're friends with them, you say, hey, just curious, you know, when someone does those tactics in reverse to you, do you click? Do you buy? Do you read? And they'll be like, no, because I know it's a tactic. <laughs> it's like, but that's the insanity of the world we live in. We've become a society of let's amplify technology and market speak instead of amplifying our best true selves. That has to change if we want to be successful relationship builders. 
Well, and Scott, I think that this contribution that you've made to the business world with Super Connector is a good first step uh, in in us as a community and us as a business world, uh, getting more in that sort of generosity mindset. Uh, so I'm really glad that you and Ryan wrote it. Uh, I am excited to finish reading it because admittedly, I got my copy turned around. I uh, got it yesterday and, and speed read it last night. But I know you've got a lot of great stories in here uh, just because I, I've gotten tidbits of them uh, over the last five years. So I'm, I'm very eager to read the rest of it this weekend. Uh, I want to thank you so much for taking time to share some of your stories. Um, and, and before we sign off here, I wanted to ask you, is there one mentor or guide along your journey that you'd like to just say a thank you to uh, here while you're on the show? Yeah, I mean... Sounds funny because eh? it's it's the antithesis of I think the answer you want. Um, <laughs> my thank you is actually to my wife and kids. Mm. Um, you know, I think the one thing that if you look at and I hate to go now reverse and go all business again, but like if you look at like Adam Grant's book Give and Take, there was a pyramid, right? And the top of the pyramid, and the bottom of the pyramid were givers. So the most successful and the least successful people were givers. Now, what makes the difference, right? It's people at the bottom that were trying to give to everybody and their mother, taking every waking minute of their time to try to be giving, 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 giving. And then it was those at the top that knew what was important to them, built systems around giving and gave as they felt was necessary, helpful, uh, exponentially more valuable to people and where they actually could play a role versus trying to play a role, um, being more methodical with their time and so forth. I think the reason that I have been at the top of the pyramid is because I have a sense of what's most important in my life. And it's not money. It's not stuff. Uh, in fact, I sold my house. I moved back to an apartment, not because I needed to. Uh, in fact, my apartment is more expensive than my house was, right? Um, <laughs> That's New York for you. Yeah. Hey, welcome to New York City. But, <laughs> but it's because I knew what was important. And the life you live is most important and made by those that love you and those that you love. And for me, it was most important as a connector to have the lens of knowing what was most important to then be able to prioritize everything else. And so by having that full focus lens and their undying support and loyalty uh, and that grounding and humbling that one day you might be on a stage in front of 3000 people speaking and talking and talk, you know, doing this. And then the next day you're changing a diaper. You're walking in the park with your daughter. You're having a date night with your wife at some shit deal diner, whatever it is. That's what I think most people need to do. Just because you can develop this quote unquote superpower doesn't mean you should do every single thing in, in its name. And so I ask people to be methodical about your time because there is uh, something that is, is really important. If I have another minute, I'll give you one quick fi you final do. Please, uh, story. Please keep it coming. Somebody told me this story once, which I thought was um, one of the most meaningful and impactful anecdotes I, I had sort of ever heard. And that was, uh, it's, and it's a hypothetical story, of course. A man gets on a train and takes a seat, sits next to someone, very Forrest Gump-esque, right? Somebody sitting next to him. And he's talking about the last stop. His whole life, he's heard about the last stop. This is the place. It's, it's the most incredible. I hear the, the food is amazing and the, you, the visuals are great and it just everything's amazing. And that person says, well, good luck. I hope you get there. Enjoy. Gets off the train. Person Next person comes on the train. Same story. And all this time, every stop, someone gets on, someone gets off, someone gets on, someone gets off. But the, that person never looks out the window, never stops talking about the last stop. Hmm. Just every single time. Finally, you know, after going and just talking about this magical place and this thing that was supposed to be God's gift to earth, 
uh, with everybody that he can get his ear, uh, listen with their ear, never looking out once the windows, what was around them, gets off the train, looks around, says, wow, now what? Never looked out the windows and missed the whole journey and all the beauty that that journey carried. My best advice, and I don't like advice anymore because I do believe that, you know, advice is one of those things that everybody has, um, you know, it's yours to listen. But, but if I had to, the journey is what makes life worth living. The journey is what is exciting and beautiful. I will guarantee all of you right now, if you had a million dollars tomorrow, you'll spend a lot of it on stupid stuff you don't need. You'll have some adventures that you couldn't before. And then about a year from now, you'll say, now what? It's not about the end goal. The end goal should be ongoing. The end goal should be something that is meaningful beyond a thing, a place, a money thing. It should be about living a life worth living. And I think your relationships can do that. Your experiences can do that. The people you love can help you do that. Those that love you can help you do that. But if you just always think about the top, the final destination, you will lose in the end. Because you might have a big bank account, but you'll have nothing else. So hopefully that's some final imparting wisdom for, for those that are listening. And I just really appreciate, Matt, you having me on. Uh, I hope you all enjoy the book. Uh, if you don't buy it, there's a lot of great content. We're going to keep putting it out uh, just to learn this mindset. It wasn't about selling books for us, guys. It was about putting this mindset in the world because it really is something that helps you to not just make your professional life worth living, but really your personal life. Thanks again for listening to today's episode. If you have any thoughts or feedback on the conversation with Scott, let us know in the comments. We'd love to hear from you. And as always, to be among the first to hear the stories about entrepreneurs, investors, and other tech leaders outside of Silicon Valley, subscribe to us on iTunes at powderkeg.com forward slash iTunes. We'll catch you next time on Powder Keg Igniting Startups.